Welcome to Destiny Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Eric Smith. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit destinydayton.com. I want to I want to dive into a couple key thoughts this morning and before I get to that, I just want to talk just a moment this morning. I, I'm I'm so uh happy to be a part of a church that allows the free flow of the gifts of the Holy Spirit, like you heard this morning, the message in tongues and an interpretation. And um, seldom does a week go past uh, without us having some sort of manifestation of the prophetic or uh, certainly the Holy Spirit is, is what I'm saying, the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And I think sometimes, you know, we can be satisfied with that. But uh, I, I want to see everyone uh, come to the understanding that God wants to use you in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Every one of us. The proper church service, if you're going by the Bible, and I know, you know, <laughs> not everyone goes by the Bible today on how they run their church service, but when we come together, uh, one has a song, a spiritual song, a hymn, a word. And, and so there's this picture of the early church in the book of Acts uh, where people contributed uh, the giftings that God had put in their heart. And uh, you'll notice, I think back on the rack, we still have some um, um, being used in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And if you, uh, if that's a, a, a hunger in your heart, which I pray it is, because I just want to go ahead and tell you, the Bible says in First Corinthians, Paul said, I want you all to prophesy. So if you're not prophesying, uh, then, you know, we, we need to dial into the Holy Spirit. And, and see, we, also with that, we have a false understanding of prophecy. Prophecy is for one purpose in the New Testament. Are you ready? To encourage and exhort and edify. Paul says three things. First Corinthians 14, three, the body of Christ. So if you use are using a prophetic word, if it doesn't edify the body, exhort the body or, or build up the body in some fashion, that's not a biblical use of the, of the gift of prophecy. Uh, so I want to encourage you all to dive into that, grab that flyer back there, that card really more than a flyer. Uh, but first Corinthians 14, first Corinthians 12 is where you find some of the background in the new Testament on the use of the gifts of the Holy spirit. And someone might say, how do you know you're getting ready to be used in the gift of the Holy spirit? What's that? Like when you, when, when someone gives a message in tongues, how do you know, uh, when you have the, uh, does anyone else have these questions? Maybe not. Nobody. Okay. So no one has these questions. Okay. A couple people have these questions. So for me, it works like this. I'll just give you my own story for me. Have you ever misplaced something and just had zero clue where it was? And then suddenly it dawns on you. <gasps> I know right where it's at. You ever had that? That's how it happens for me. When a message in tongues happens and the Lord gives me like the interpretation, at first it'll be like, cool, I hope somebody has interpretation. Then suddenly it's like, you know, when you're knower, it's like, oh, and, but oftentimes I see it requires faith because everything that operates in the kingdom operates through faith. You're never going to have the whole thing. You'll have the first few words, right? Same with tongues. Same when you get baptized in the Holy Spirit. Right? You're ready for a whole language to flow. That's awesome, but that seldom happens. Usually it's one or two words in your, in your, in your knower that you're like, okay, I'm going to speak those out in faith. And as you do that, then the rest of it comes. Is this making sense to anyone? So the same with prophetic words. You may have a sentence, you may have a few words, and you say, well, what if I just say the few words? And it's like, ah, okay, well, you tried. That's awesome. Amen? We, we want to we grow in our faith. We want to grow in our gifting. So I just wanted to, I felt, I felt it important to mention that today because uh, it's great that we have the flowing of the gifts, and I, I love that, and I want to encourage that. But I also want to encourage more people to be used in the gifts. I want to encourage everyone to understand God wants to use you too. Hello. 
God wants to use you also. <laughs> if you're watching by YouTube, God really wants to use you also. All right. So just want you to know that. So today I want to I, I want to preach out of a book that I haven't preached a whole bunch out of in my life, but out of the book of Zechariah. It's in the Old Testament. Uh, one of what we would call the minor prophets, and they're called minor not because of their content, but because the amount or the volume uh, that is written in their books. But Zechariah chapter 7, verse 1, we're going to read 13 verses because the whole chapter is only 13 verses, so I might as well go ahead and read it all. Zechariah. This week we're kicking off a week of fasting and prayer here at Destiny uh, through next Sunday. I'll mention it again before I'm done, but I just want to encourage everyone this week, pick a meal, pick a day, pick a time, go without food, and, and, and seek the Lord in prayer. Uh, however you can do that, it, maybe you want to do a whole day, sun up, sun down. We've talked about that manner of fasting, but the, the word fast in the Hebrew Bible uh, means to close your mouth. So it's directly dealing with food. People say, well, how can I fast the TV? Well, it'd be a good idea to unplug your TV and not watch it for a while, but that's not fasting. All right. That's called doing without your TV. Uh, I, I've done what they call the Daniel fast, but I realized it's real. Daniel fast is not a fast. It's called clean eating. <laughs> if you read Daniel one, Daniel said, Daniel doesn't say, I'm going to go fast now and I'm going to get permission to fast. No, he said, I want them to eat like I'm going to eat though. So it, it, it's, it's not really, uh, it's not really a fast and I, we've done it. I've done it. And it's fine. But uh, true fasting, true biblical fasting, if we're trying to recapture that New Testament, that biblical fashion of fasting, it's not eating. All right. It's closing what we call the pie hole. Right. Right here. <laughs> not letting food go in there. And uh, uh, th- there's no restriction as far as how long. I know some people may want to go, you know, a couple days, three days. Oh, that's that's up to you. All we're asking is it's it'd be powerful for this body as one to know all through this week. Somebody is fasting on a given day, even if it's just breakfast, even if it's just lunch, even if it's just supper, that somebody is fasting and praying. And so the sanctuary, I posted the hours. I'll post them again on, on Facebook. Because I can't remember if I posted on my page or the Destiny Church page. But the sanctuary will be open uh, for certain hours this week during the day. Uh, the reason why it's not open every day all day is because someone has to be here, right? So I, I, I have to go do things. <laughs> like tomorrow I'm preaching for our preachers, our preachers meeting for our area, the Greater Dayton area meeting. So like during that time, I won't be here. Uh, but around those times, we'd love to have you come and pray and uh, seek the Lord. We'll have music on and it'll be warm and everything in here. Uh, it'll be snow on the ground in here. We'll just, no, we won't, we won't let it be cold. We'll be, it'll be warm. And we just want to encourage you to come and pray and fast this week. So Zechariah chapter seven, I know you all are there because you've been sitting there for five minutes saying, when's he going to finally read this? Okay, here we go. Zechariah chapter one. In the fourth year of King Darius, the word of the Lord came to Zechariah in the fourth day of the ninth month, which is about December the seventh, which is Chislev. Now, the people of Bethel had sent Sherezer and Regam Malek. Aren't you glad for like Smith and Jones names now? Come on. Amen. And their men. <laughs> amen. Now they're men. And they're men to entreat the favor of the Lord. 
So they were coming, right? Now this is post-exile, right? The Jews had been taken hostage and, and captivity in Babylon and the Medes, and the, now they're under Persian rule. And, and a new Darius, the, the new king, ha, had released the, the Jewish people to go back to their homeland. They were still under Persian rule, but this is about you know about four about five hundred BC, all right, in that range, about five twenty BC. So this is kind of the time frame, and and they are now coming back and they're rebuilding the temple and they're trying to kind of resume, resume, resume normal life, even though there are people without a name, they're without a political leader, they're without, you know, they're without a temple, they're, they're just kind of there, right? They've just been kind of reduced to zero. And now they're coming back into their homeland. And so it's kind of a rough time. And so they were saying, hey, should we weep and fast in the fifth month as we have done for so many years? They were trying to figure out, you know, do we need to continue fasting? Because Jews continued to fast when they were in exile. They continued to do all that. The problem that we're going to see here is they weren't doing it from the right heart. So the word of the Lord of hosts came to me, Zechariah. Say to all the people of the land and the priests of Israel, when you fasted and mourned in the fifth month and the seventh month, for these last 70 years that they've been in captivity, was it for me that you fasted? So when you get a, a rhetorical question like that, sometimes you can pretty much say, well, the answer is probably no. Or you wouldn't be asking that. And when you eat, when you fast, or when you feast, when you drink, do you not eat? For yourselves and drink for yourselves? Were not these the words that the Lord proclaimed by the former prophets? Talking about Jeremiah. When Jerusalem was inhabited and prosperous and her cities around her and the south and the lowland were inhabited. And the word of the Lord came to Zechariah saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Render true judgments. Show kindness and mercy to one another. Do not oppress the widow, the fatherless, the sojourner, or the poor. And let none of you devise evil against another in your heart. But they refused to pay attention and turned a stubborn shoulder and stopped their ears that they might not hear. And this, is the, this word is translated diamond, and I like this because diamond is something that really didn't exist in ancient Israel. But the English, it, it gives you the sense of the hardness of the word that the Hebrew, that Zechariah was saying here. Some of your translations may say flint. I don't know if anybody has flint here in the next verse. But they made, verse 12, they made their hearts diamond hard, lest they, that lest they should hear the law and the words of the Lord of hosts sent by his spirit through the former prophets. So what, what's happening here? The people want to know, should we continue fasting? Zechariah is saying, the word of the Lord is saying, why? Because you fasted before and you only did it for yourselves. You've only done it for yourselves. So what's the point God is saying here? Verse 13. I hope it's okay that I add a few little by the ways along the way. Right? Okay. I'm thinking some, you know, we can probably learn a little bit in church too. It's okay if we learn a little bit about, about the books we're studying. That's okay. Um, plus, it helps me feel like I'm using my education that I'm getting from, from my master's program. Okay. <laughs> it's like, oh, verse 13. I want to feel useful too, right? I mean, everybody wants to feel. As I called, and they would not hear. So they called, and I would not hear, says the Lord of hosts. And I scattered them with a whirlwind among the nations that they had not known. Thus the land was left desolate, 
and no one went to and fro, and the, and the pleasant land was made desolate. So the Lord is saying here, you know, really what went wrong all those years ago is you stopped listening to the Lord. You started doing things your way. So now your fasting is basically like your feasting. It's for yourself. It's not for me. And as you do these things, the word of the Lord is talking to the Israelites here. You do these things. It looks like it has a religious sense about it, but it really has nothing to do with God. It has nothing to do with me. So what the Lord is saying, you guys are fasting, but it's false fasting. I, I, that's the title of my message, false fasting with a question mark, because I, I, I'm trying to think, you know, can, can this can this type word translate to our day? And I'm thinking, well, yeah, because it translated immediately in the New Testament 500, 600 years later, because they were basically having the same problem. Right. Jesus endorsed fasting. How many of you know that Jesus endorsed prayer? But remember the words that he nailed the, the religious, the religious sex with S E C T S X. The word, the, the words that he nailed them with is, listen, you are fasting so you could look like you're outwardly clean. But inside you're, you're like dead man's bones. Jesus called the Pharisees and he said, you know what? It's good that you tithe, right? Jesus endorses tithing in the new people. Jesus endorsed tithing. Yes, he does. But the position is don't do it as a hypocrite. Don't fast as a hypocrite. Don't tithe. Remember Jesus said you, you, you tithe on your mint and your cumin. Right, cumin and I have a new relationship because I like to use it in my hummus. It makes great hummus. Right, it's one of those ingredients that makes killer hummus. How many like hummus? No, all right. Some of you do. Good. Uh, come on my house. I'll make you some hummus. I love it. So it, it, you tithe on your mint and your cumin. In other words, you you were exact and you were so precise about how you tithe, but you were neglecting what? Justice, mercy, love. Right. This is exactly what Zechariah was word from the Lord to the people. You're fasting, but you're mistreating each other. You've ignored the orphan. You've ignored the widow. You're precise on how you execute the outward appearance. And you look spectacular from the outside, but you're missing the major points. Jesus said the same thing in the New Testament, right? Therefore, today... I think we have to watch and be cautious, my friends. Why? It's just because of human nature. We can key up on the outward things and look like we got our stuff together. We can look like we, we've got our, our act together. We can be like whitewashed sepulchers like Jesus said. We can look like, wow, we read and we pray and we fast and we're on Facebook and Instagram and, and we've got ourselves with our popcorn bowl filled with salad saying, Daniel fast 2021. Yeah, here I am. You can be seated. And Jesus sees that and it stinks. It stinks. Because we have to ask ourselves, what are we doing for the Lord? And how much of this is for ourselves? How much of this is so we can look good? How much of this is so we can look spiritual? So if we're going to embark on fasting, I thought it wise to spend a few moments today teaching and talking about what real fasting is. Because I just don't want to any longer turn people, okay, oh, let's fast. And then we, you know, we learn how to do that from, from social media. And we'll probably learn it incorrectly. 
A couple years ago, we were doing a Daniel fast, and maybe some of you were here, I don't know, it was a number of years ago. We were like a 21-day Daniel fast, and, and a friend of mine was doing it, and he lived in Oklahoma, and his wife called Julie, and like, yeah, we're doing the Daniel fast too, and, and she said, but uh, my husband, he's, he's, he's a friend of mine, he's, he's gained like 10 pounds on this diet. I'm like, how can you gain 10 pounds on the Daniel fast? He's like, I'm eating potatoes every meal. I'm like, well, there you have it right there. Like a baked potato for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And like, oh, I can eat potato. I go, no wonder you're gaining weight. That's not a fast. Come on. Holy cow. But the Lord desires us. If we're going to fast, we fast for him. And really, we're talking fasting, but this really kind of applies to every motive we have. We've heard this said before, but, you know, we stand before God. He's going to judge our hearts and our motives. And that's kind of scary. Because, you see, there's a lot of there's a lot of ways we look at things. But I want to tell you, God is looking at the heart of man and woman. He's looking at why we do what we do. What we do is wonderful, but really the why we do. And really only God can perceive that. I know sometimes people try to figure out other people's motives. I would try to encourage you not to do that because you will likely miss it. You will likely misread it. You will come to conclusions. You'll call people names. There'll be this. There'll be that. There'll be everything. Yeah. There'll be, oh, they're prideful. They're egotistical. They're that. No, you're probably 90% wrong. But here's the gold. We can turn those howitzers of judgment on our own heart. Turn the guns around. Right? So when you point to somebody, you have three fingers pointing back to you. That's right. So let all, the, let all that judgment aim at yourself. God, where am I dropping the ball? God, test my heart. God, reveal my heart. God, I want to make sure my worship is true. I want to make sure my worship is pure. I want to make sure my fasting is, is right. And, and this was the heart because God had just like had it up to here a little bit with his people. And they were saying, okay, it's time to fast. Now we're all back in Jerusalem and, and we're trying to get things off the ground. Should we continue fasting? And the Bible says the word of the Lord came to Zechariah. I'm going to do a study this week on that word, that line right there. The word of the Lord came to Zechariah. And the word was you might as well not waste your time if you're doing it for yourself. I want to talk about what successful fasting involves. I only have two points. I'm going to give them to you. I'm going to pray for a few people here this morning. We're going to see what God does. Successful fasting. If you want to give me the next point, my brother. Successful fasting requires right motives and right attitudes. Everyone say right motives and right attitudes. You know, I think I may have shared this a time or two before, maybe, maybe not. I don't know. But when Julie and I became church planters a little over 20 years ago, I was asked in the interview process some very important questions that really caught my attention. And these were these these were the questions I mean, I had been, I was at that time, I was about 33, 34 years old. I had been in ministry full time, uh, most all of my adult life. Someone asked me the other day if I've ever had a real job. <laughs> like, well, 
Uh, they didn't ask it that way. But uh, you ever had a job outside of ministry? Well, in college, I had a couple of jobs, you know, to make money. I worked at a shoe store, the, you know, remember Tom McCann shoe store in the mall? They used to be in the mall. They went out of business after I, I broke them. I just broke them. I went to there and I broke the place. I ran it totally wrong. I'm just kidding. I didn't break them. They had a bad business plan, I think. But yeah, I worked all kinds of jobs, but I've been in ministry full time. But when it came time, to plant a church before they would hire me per se to do this, they had some great questions. And the questions are really, I still remember to this day, and we had to go undergo all kinds of testing and personality testing. And if you've ever been, Jason understands this as a missionary, you, you basically are psychoanalyzed. That's what it feels like. It's like they're trying to figure out, you know, who you are and all this stuff. And, and they asked me these questions that I love. And, and the question is, are you wanting to plant a church to prove that you can do it. Are you wanting to plant a church to prove yourself to someone else? Are you planting a church because you want to be your own boss? Are you planting a church because you have a hard time following another leader? And they asked that question several different ways. And I love those questions because at that time in my life, you know, when you hit your early mid thirties, right? I don't know how it is for women. I can't speak for your experience, but I think for men, this is true. You come to that point where it's like, you feel like you're a bear coming out of a cave and you want to make a mark and you want to, you want to, you evaluate everything you've been doing. It's like, I want to, I want to become something great for God. And for me, it's like, I want to become something great for God. And I want to do, and I want to, you know, follow the dream that God, and believe me, you'll hit that point. If you haven't already, some of you already have, you understand that you have that sense. I don't know how to describe it. You want to make a mark. You want to have some significance going on in your life. And then you have the midlife thing, right? Where you want to question that. Have I really had an impact, right? So it's kind of a life's a funny thing, right? I'm glad I got to get to live it under the Lord because I'd lose my mind if I didn't have Jesus. I'll tell you that. But I love these questions. Because they were wanting to make sure of one thing. And that is my motives and my attitudes were right. It wasn't even about whether or not I could accomplish it. They, they, they finally discovered from testing, saying, okay, you're capable of planning a church. It's going to work. It's a, so we're going to invest the money in you. But it wasn't even about that at the time. The point was, did I have the right heart in doing it? Because see, here's the dirty little secret. You can pastor a church or plant a church or have a, a successful ministry and have wrong motives and wrong attitudes. You can build a big church without Jesus' help. And no one would know because you'll say all the right things and you'll mean, you'll, you'll think you really mean it. But God is the examiner of hearts, God is the examiner of motives. Again, that's why we should never try to critique someone else's motives. At the same time, we should never get blown away by someone's results. It doesn't mean those are heaven's results. Well, if someone had A, B, and C happen, they must be called of God. They must have right mind. You don't know that. Don't worry about it. Just don't even think about it. Just thank the Lord for the victories and allow God, like David with Saul, right? David had a chance to come against Saul. And no, I'm going to let the Lord handle him. People say, well, Saul's a Mr. Egotistical. Saul's this. And, Saul. and David said, you know what? I'm not going to touch him. That has to be our attitude. Because our attitude, if it's going to be, because then you go in the wrong attitude that way, right? 
right? You, you, you become Mr. Mr. Church troubleshooter, trouble finder guy, girl, right? <laughs> Our attitudes have to be right. There is much we can do for God. But I want to tell you today that what it is we do does not matter compared to why it is we're doing it. Am I talking to anyone here today? And I'm talking to you. I'm talking about reading your Bible. I'm talking about praying. I'm talking about fasting. I'm talking about all the things that, that we offer to the Lord and, 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 and are part of our service to the Lord. And that's important and true. Even our giving to the poor, our helping people in need. We've got to remember why it is we're doing that. Are we checking a box? Are, are, we, are we feeling obligated? And if, we have, if we're doing service to the Lord out of obligation, it's probably time to get in the altar today and lay on the floor and weep until God breaks that off of you. But I want to tell you, we must be people that examining our own motives and make sure that we have right heart and right mind, right attitudes, right motives, because God always looks at the heart, right? The Bible says that that's in the, that's in the scripture. Man looks at the outward appearance. God looks at the heart. The word of the Lord came to Zechariah, calls the people out for doing their fasting for themselves. They had the wrong motives. Let's never fast with wrong motives. There was fasting. They were fasting out of presumption. They just presumed it would please God, even though their motives weren't right. And in actuality, their living wasn't right. That's, that's what presumption is. Presumption is such a dangerous sin. Presumption is such a dangerous attitude because presumption will cause someone to live however they want to live and do what they want to live, but they'll come back to these little religious knot holes or these little religious bells. They're like, as long as we're ringing these little religious bells, God doesn't care what I'm doing over here. God doesn't care what I'm watching on the internet. God doesn't care how I'm gossiping about. God doesn't care if I'm putting down pastor or putting down a brother or sister, but I'm going to come ring these bells. I'll put my thing in the bucket and I'll, I'll raise my hand and I'll show up and I'll be there. But I want to tell you, it matters. It matters. It matters. Presumption is an attitude that will destroy your spiritual life and cause you to live in defeat. When we presume upon God, what happens is we assume something is there when it is not. Taking God's presence for granted without paying the price to truly carry it. That we have to make stuff up and then pretend we have it. Like someone is convinced like their dog is smiling at them, except dogs really don't smile. Like, no, look, he's smiling. No, dogs don't smile. No, dog owners are saying, yes, they do. Yes, they do. Dogs don't smile. They relax their face muscles. That's what that's called. They're not stressed. There you go. That's an unstressed face. See, we can't live with the same old junk from last year and bring it into this year and assume God's going to be okay with it. We can't keep listening to the same music, watching the same stuff, think God is going to show up because we're going to fast and we're going to do God a favor here because He won't. There are some who are still looking at, and I just feel led to include this today, there are some that are still looking at horoscopes and looking at astrological signs. My friends, that is witchcraft. That is no place... In the life of a believer. 
And He's given us a season of grace to repent of all our sin and all that besets us. And it's time to put all that away. And the people of Israel had this thing where they were presuming, we'll just, we'll just go back to just like Samson. We see it with Samson, right? He, he's sleeping with a woman he's not married to. And he thinks he's going to get up and fight the Philistines and all's going to be fine. And he gets so loosey-goosey with the, the anointing God gave him that he gives the secret away, his hair. And the Bible says he thinks he's going to get up like he used to presumption 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 and he's given us a season god has given us a season of grace right now to repent of all of our sin of all that besets us. It's time to put it away. It's time to cast it aside. I want to tell you if you wonder if your music matters, your music matters. You can't listen to filthy music with F words and everything else talking about this and think you're going to glorify God and think you're going to bring that spirit into this church or any church you walk into. I know there's churches that think it's cool to play secular music before and after service. I want to tell you, it's an abomination to God. How are you going to mix witchcraft and, and, and the evil of the world with, and expect God to show up? Are you kidding me? My friend, God is working overtime in our lives. I, I believe He is just constantly, right? He, he's just doing a work in us, and we've got to make sure that we're yielding our full selves to Him so we will be a people that is with spot and wrinkle, which is what He is working to create in our hearts. Anything that's holding us back, any sin that's besetting us, it's time to put it away, cast it aside. I never, I've really, uh, until some people have told me, and it realized what a pit Facebook and, and instant messenger is, and, and some of these things are, that, are, that go on on social media, and people think their works are hidden. The best thing some of you can do is delete people, block people, get rid of your social media if you have to. But don't let that be a pit where you get sucked into, my friend, because I want to tell you something. The devil is active, and the Bible says he's like a roaring lion seeking who he may devour. Cast it aside. Like I read, somebody said this the other day, I love it. They said, if you're fasting and still gossiping, you may as well go ahead and eat. If you're fasting and listening to garbage music, you might as well go ahead and eat. Zechariah told the people, you're treating others unjustly, yet you fast. It's basically saying the same thing. And you're you're, you're going to fast, but yet you're treating the widows among you like they don't exist. You might as well eat. Uh, you've ignored the fatherless, the orphans, the babies, the out, out, out parents. You're ignoring them, letting them suffer. You, you might as well eat. People that have nothing that live next to you, they're starving to death. You haven't lifted a finger for them. You, you might as well go ahead and eat. Because it matters. It matters. Now hear me today. I don't want anyone to leave defeated. But I want you to leave challenged from the Word of God today. Because I see this mentality is rampant among those claiming to know Jesus. They listen to the same filth as the world. They go to the same bars. They sleep around like the world. They talk the same talk and use the same language. Then they turn on the Jesus smile on Sunday morning. Well, God's not having any of it, my friend. The Bible gives us a clear call. Come out 
from among the world and be separate. Come out from among them and be separate. What's the call of following Christ? You've you got to come out from the world. We're in it, but not of it. That's what Paul said. Do not become partners with those who do not believe. We can stop right there and preach sermons. Why are you a partner with someone who doesn't believe? Why would you even entertain that? Right? For what partnership is there between righteousness and lawlessness? Or what fellowship does light have with darkness? That's a sermon. If I have a fellowship going on with someone's in darkness, that doesn't speak very highly of the light inside of me. And I have a right to question that. And what agreement does Christ have with Belial, which is another way of saying Beelzebub or Satan? Or what does a believer share in common with an unbeliever? It goes on. And what mutual agreement does the temple of God have with idols? For we are the temple of the living God, just as God said, I will live in them and they will walk among them and, I, and will walk among them and I will be their God and they will be my people. This is good. Therefore, come out from their midst and be separate, says the Lord, and touch no unclean thing, and I will welcome you. This is written after the cross, after resurrection, after Pentecost. He's quoting the Old Testament, but notice he has no problem quoting the Old Testament to people who have been saved, baptized, filled with the Holy Spirit, New, New Testament. He had no problems reminding them the Bible says, touch no unclean thing, and I will welcome you. Powerful. This is why Jesus, you've heard me say this before, this is why Jesus had such authority. We're talking about the right motives and the right attitudes for fasting here. This is why Jesus had such authority over demons. Even the demons said to him, you can find this in Mark 5, Jesus, what do we have in common with you? Jesus, why are you coming and addressing us? Why are you coming and and shaking our cage? We don't have anything in common with you. And I believe the same message is, is doubly true for the church of Jesus Christ. We should have nothing in common with the demonic. We should have nothing in common. And the moment we try to dabble, the moment we try to let there be a mixture, my friends, that is where bondage creeps in. That's when we get defeated. That's what shuts us down. That's what causes us to live in fear and depression and whatever and loss and and loss of victory because we've allowed a mixture to come in and God is trying to deliver us from the mixture. He's calling us to come out from among them. The right attitude is this. It's all about honoring Jesus Christ and not ourselves. It's like Brother Jason said, Jesus is going to reign over my finances. He's going to reign over my family. He's going to reign over my sexuality. He's going to reign over all of that. He's going to reign over my preferences. He's going to reign over the color of carpet I prefer in a church. He's going to reign over. He's going to reign over my. Those things don't matter. Because Jesus is going to be who I'm honoring. So Zechariah here is referencing when he says the former prophets. I mentioned this. He talked about, he he was speaking of the prophet Jeremiah. And Jeremiah was saying the same thing. You can't live 
in a displeasing way to God or you can't carry on your life in a displeasing way to God, but then fix it with some religious activity. We see this all the time. Well, I'll come to church for a few weeks. And they got their white knuckles and they may bring their Bible and they'll come and they'll... They're really uncomfortable. They'll come. They'll come for two or three weeks. Like, there, I did my duty. Worthless. Might as well eat. Might as well eat. God, here, here, listen. God is wanting you 100%. God wants all of you. The only way he gets all of you is for you to give it to him. You got to come and you got to get on the altar of sacrifice. Like Paul said, I die daily. This is what he talked about this all the time. You have to die before the Lord. You die to your desires. You die to your preferences. You die to yourself. And when you are dead, the Holy Spirit comes. Now I'm, I'm going to be a little metaphoric here. Okay. He will check your pulse. No pulse. They're dead. And then the Father looks at the blood of Jesus shed. And he said, it's time to put a brand new heart inside of them. Man. And so and now all this happens in a, in a split second, right? The power of the Holy Spirit is sent. The says in Titus that we are regenerated through the work of the Holy Spirit by the blood of Jesus Christ. The Father breathed. And that dead heart that wasn't beating, suddenly he takes that out and he puts a brand new heart inside. And you come to life, a new person. First Corinthians, if any man or woman be in Christ, the old is gone. The new has come. If any, let me say King James, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away and behold, all things have become new. Jesus wants to make you brand new. That is salvation. But we got a lot of folk. They want to white knuckle it. They want to white knuckle. Why? Because you're still, you're still trying to work it out for yourself. You're still trying to you know, ring the little religious bells, check the boxes. I'm going to do this work for God. I'm going to show up. I'm going to show up a couple times. Uh, I'm going to clean a toilet for him. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. And then you never see it because they're still trapped in the same attitude that has vexed people, humanity since the beginning. We think we can fix it. But we're broken beyond repair from our own abilities. You can't fix it. Because remember, God brought the fix, but that fix is a covenant, not a contract. And this was the problem. This is the heart of Zechariah. Please hear me. I'm almost done. Zechariah was saying, listen, folks, you're in a covenant with God. Not a contract. A contract is I'll scratch your back, you scratch my back. I'll do enough good things and you'll do some good things for me. All right. This is not a business partnership, right? This is a covenant. And this is, you, you read this uh, in Zechariah, I think the next chapter, if I'm not mistaken. But the covenant is you live your life and surrender your life to the Lord and he will come and he'll dwell in the temple again. Because that's what the Israelites wanted. They wanted the glory, right? They wanted that Shekinah to return to the temple like it used to be. And that's what they were longing for because that was the promise. And that's why Jesus coming was so powerful and the filling with the Holy Spirit is so powerful because he's Emmanuel, God with us. And he's fulfilled that promise right once and for all. But we ought to understand that in the Old Testament, that was the thing. We want God's presence to dwell in the temple because that means he's with us. That 
needs. He hasn't abandoned us. And God, through the prophets, is reminding them, listen, it's a covenant. It's a two-way street. You see, a contract, I want you to see this, a contract, there's an agreement of an exchange of goods. You do this for me, I'll do that for you. A lot of people live their marriages that way, and that's, that, that's symptomatic of a marriage that won't last very long. Or at least if it exists, it won't exist in happiness. It'll just be getting by. People do this with God. Well, we'll do this, and the Lord, you can do that. This is a covenant. See the difference. A covenant, there's a pledge where you give yourself to the other person. You see that? We're not, just, we're not just signing a business contract here. You do this and I do that. No, no, no. That's a contract. This is a covenant. A covenant I have pledged. And God reminds them that in, in the Zechariah. He said, this is a covenant. If you will surrender yourself to me, I will show up and live amongst you. That's the covenant. That's the covenant promise of God. We have a God that is present. But I want to tell you, my friend, it hinges on our attitudes and our actions. That's what the Bible says. And the people were treating God like they had a contract here in Zechariah's day. And people still treat God today in America like they have a contract. But God reminded them they'd cut a covenant. He will dwell with them. And they will be a people that give him their lives. This is what Paul was referring to that I just read. Come out from among them being separate. Then, then I will walk among you. Then, right? He saw the if then, right? You can look that up again in Corinthians 6. It, 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 it's there. Come out from among them, and I'm going to walk with you. It's, it's covenant. You give yourself to me, I'm going to give myself to you. See, this is a covenant. See, maybe some of you, for the first time in your life, you're understanding what salvation is. It's a covenant. Right? That's why I openly mock repeat after me prayers. We have people in America who got saved by people saying, repeat after me. And they say a prayer. They say, congratulations, you're in. Well, I don't know if they're in or not. The great evangelist Steve Hills, who's with the Lord now, has said, you know, you can go to hell with baptism waters dripping off your face, with a communion wafer in your tongue, church membership card in your wallet. You may have said a prayer repeated after me 50 times. It doesn't make you saved. Salvation is a covenant. When you die to yourself, you come into relationship with Jesus Christ. And he comes and he fills you. I want to just go ahead and jump to the next. A successful fast requires a humble heart that is after God. Two things. A right motive and right attitudes. Number two, a humble heart that is after God. Zechariah verse 11 here. It says they refuse to pay. This is your text right, that we just read. They refuse to pay attention, turning away stubbornly and stopping their ears so they could not hear. Indeed, they made their hearts as hard as diamonds so that they could not obey the law of Moses. In the other words of the Lord of heaven's armies had sent by his spirit through the former prophets. Therefore, the Lord of heaven poured out great wrath. You see, the opposite, in case you're wondering, of a heart after God is a hard heart, a heart that won't bend, a heart that has lost its softness, a heart that has lost its receptivity, 
A heart that has lost its ability to cry. A heart that has lost its tenderness, right? A heart that's lost its ability. There, there's, there's a hardness that have come over. And there's a resistance to what God is saying. There's a resistance to what God is calling us to do. There's a resistance to God's call to repent. So the proper motive for fasting is this. God, I need your manifest presence in my life. I need your manifest presence in my home, in my church. I'm not fasting to get you to do this, that, or the other for me. I'm not, I'm not fasting so something will happen that will make me happier in life. God, I just want to start here with the covenant. And Lord, I just want you. See, we've forgotten the promise in Scripture. If you seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, all these other things will be added unto you anyway. That's why Jesus' point, it's kind of worthless to pray for food or clothing or anything else. It's kind of worthless because He said, the Father knows you already have need of them. And that's what He follows that up with. But seek first the kingdom of God. And all these other things will come to you. That's, that's, a, word, that's, a, word, that's a word from heaven for someone in here right now. Put the Lord first. All these other things will happen for you if he is first. Before the Welsh revival ever happened, the Welsh revival preceded Azusa Street. Happened in Wales, obviously, but the impact of the Welsh revival affected Azusa Street, in effect, which in turn affected the world. But there was a coal miner, a man named Evan Roberts, who had become a preacher. And he had prayed for 11 years. He was a believer. He wanted to see God do something powerful in his country. He prayed for revival for 11 years. And for 11 years, Evan Roberts prayed that revival would come to his town, his, his nation. He asked, and this is what he would say. He said, God, bend the hearts of people in Wales. And even while he dug in the coal mines and as he did his job... Evan Roberts prayed. In essence, the prayer was, Lord, bend them. Lord, we have a lot of hard-hearted people. I can imagine working in the mines and you're against all kinds of hard, solid rock and whatnot. And this that image of man. Lord, people's hearts are like these rocks we're trying to dig out of the mines so we can get to the coal. Lord, I pray that you would soften their hearts. Lord, bend them. And for 11 years, this was his request. And it went unanswered. Lord, bend them. Lord, bend them. Lord, bend the hearts of our nation. But for 11 years, he prayed and nothing happened. And then one day while Evan Roberts was in prayer with a friend, he heard his friend say something that spurred something in his heart. And he decided to pray it a little differently. So he began to pray from that moment forward. Lord, bend me. I've been praying, God, fix them. But I was praying wrong. Lord, fix me. Lord, bend me. Within six months, the Welsh revival began. It was birthed by a prayer of a man named Evan Roberts who became the leader of the revival who learned to pray. Instead of, Lord, bend them, Lord, bend me. Lord, soften me. Lord, soften my heart. Now, you all know that Wales is a small country. 
But they experienced over 100,000 people saved in the early 1900s when that happened. 100,000 souls. Do you realize that many communities had to shut down bars and shut down prisons because they had no business? <laughs> right? The criminals were getting saved. The drunks were getting saved. No one was coming to the bars anymore. They had to shut it all down. And the talk of the town, the talk in the whole region was what God was doing in their nation. I share that with you to let you know that, my friends, if we want to see God impact a nation, impact a, a state, impact a city, it ha I believe it has to begin with me and you. Therefore, we fast. And maybe God calls us to fast on behalf of a nation at some point. Maybe God calls us to fast, to, and, and there's certainly times for that, and that's certainly proper. But I believe what God is calling us to do right now is fast, asking God to bend me. Because, Lord, I, I want to come to you with a humble heart because all of my plans are used up. All of my strategies are gone. I've used them all. It's like I, I put them in the musket. I loaded the musket. I had the wadding. I had the powder. I had the, the black powder. I put the steel ball in and shot it. And it's empty and there's nothing left. I have nothing left, God. I've done everything. <laughs> Maybe you feel that way in your life. Lord, I've, here I am. I've come to this point. And I've realized more than ever, God, I need you. So as you fast this week, whatever day, whatever meal you pick, I want to encourage you to make sure that you're fasting with the right heart attitude, with the right motive. I want to encourage you to make sure that you are fasting with a heart that is soft or at least softening for the Lord. Asking God, Lord, Remembering the words of Evan Roberts, if you want to, Lord, bend me. Lord, soften my heart. Lord, soften me. Because Jesus, at the end of the day, you're the only thing I want. You're the only thing I need. In your precious name. Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. This message and other resources are available at DestinyDayton.com.